Hi everyone. Our prayer this morning comes from a verse in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's pray. Loving Father, we come to you this morning with deep gratitude for what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We are very aware that his blood that was shed for our sins has made us clean and pure in the very core of our being. The first thing you asked for when that happened was for us to give you our heart, a true heart, a heart that is yielded to you and true to you. It is only then that we can draw near to you, dear Father. Our hearts were uniquely designed, created and prepared to receive you and enjoy you and your love for us. It is in our heart that you want to dwell and it is there that we know your love and joy. In the past you were grieved because your people had turned away from you. You saw the hardening of hearts, the wandering hearts and the unbelieving hearts. And so you spoke through Ezekiel and said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And that's what Jesus has done for us through his Holy Spirit. <coughs> Father God, we know that we still sin from time to time and that you want us to come to you with a true heart to be honest about what is going on there. We ask your forgiveness for the times when our heart has been hard, when it has been fearful, when it has been divided, when it struggles to make the right choice, more interested in our will than your will, and when it has been attracted to other loves. Lord, we know the truth and we pray that it can reign in our hearts so that we will grow in our faith and spiritual maturity. You don't want us to have a relationship with you that is based on our intellect, reason and church attendance. Without you, our hearts become the centre of our desires, affections and will. But you desire our love, our life and truth in the inner parts. You want us to yield our heart to you, to relinquish our plans and to dwell in your eternal love. You want to shape us to be more like Jesus. And so today we choose to come to you with a true heart and surrender it to you for your purposes. Receive it with our love and obedience, dear God. Have your way with it, Lord, and may you dwell there forever because we know that you delight in those who are in awe of you and who put their hope in your unfailing love. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Morning. I think Carol must have been on holidays with me this week, peering over my shoulder as I was typing this up, because her prayer is spot on. So it's not I, but through Christ. And I think we need to keep that in mind as, as we... Um, look into this message this morning. I had this message prepared way before COVID. It's been stuck in my drawer at work for a very long time and I just finished it this weekend. But I really feel that this is the time for all of us to hear it. Um, it's a time of going deeper as Sam's been trying to encourage us to do. 
And sometimes there's some tough times um, in life and I think we need to look at those things and be realistic and then we grow. Can I just clean my glasses? I need one of Jo's Norwex things that she's got because I've got one at home and they're amazing. Actually, it's not a spot, it's just water. Okay, so the purpose of this message is that it will bring us into a deeper understanding of God and a deeper understanding of ourselves. We begin with the question, what are hidden agendas? Hidden agendas are the unconscious but deeply held views which influence and govern the way we act. Often we think we're doing things for one reason when a different reason, a hidden one, is actually the driving force behind our actions. In many cases, our agendas are the opposite of what we tell ourselves in the conscious part of our minds. And when this is the case, we set ourselves up for really deep inner conflicts, which in turn can actually bring spiritual paralysis in our lives. As you know, the word agenda means to do or items of business to be considered or matters for discussion. Now, hidden agendas are when we store up a list of items in our heart, usually negative ones, and then in our contacts with others, we work our way through the list without realising we're even doing that. Now, anyone involved in counselling will know that sometimes the problem a person presents with is not really the problem. The reason is that they are unable to understand that beneath the visible agenda there is a hidden one. Good counselling seeks to uncover the hidden agenda and helps the person to understand some of the things that are going on beneath the surface. Now, you may be thinking, is it really necessary to probe beneath the surface of our lives? Should we not just get on with doing life the best we can and leave the hidden things to God? The Christian life is not all challenge, but there are times when it is. And when a challenge presents itself, we have the opportunity to go deeper in our Christian journey. David is a great example. You've heard this one before. Psalm 139 verse 23 has David saying, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. To look at those parts of us where our hidden agendas operate is a painful business, so painful that to some people it's like a path to death. Sounds melodramatic, but to some people it is that. However, it's a path to life, for it is in dying that we live, it's in weakness that we're made strong, and it's in pain that we find joy. Scripture never encourages us to pretend things are better than they are, nor does it suggest to us to clean only the outside of the cup. It encourages us to face reality, and that includes the fears, misconceptions, resentments and other things that may be going on inside us. But we can only face our inner selves when we know how much we are divinely loved. If we don't understand how much God loves us, how much he cares for us, then we will be most likely threatened by his probing. 
We must hold on to the fact that God challenges us because he loves us. God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. Once we see that love is the power that guides our life and seeks to bring us to maturity and spiritual effectiveness, then we will find it easier to go with the process. We've got to get it into our heads once and for all. God is for us, not against us. God is not against us for our sin, but for us against our sin. He always differentiates between the person and the sin. When Christianity says God loves us, it means exactly as it says. God loves us. Divine love is not sloppy. It's not sentimental. It is love that seeks our highest good. Our hearts cry out for a loving God. Guess what? The truth is we've got one. When a loving God begins to work in our life and presents us with challenges we would prefer not to face, our tendency could could be, oh, God, please love me less. But we wouldn't really be content with a God who loved us less. If we are to face the challenges of our lives, then we must see right away that love, divine love, regards us worthy of correction. God is love. Love is not merely an attribute of his character. He is love. God's relationship with with us is pictured in so many ways, like a builder to his building, a potter to his clay, but the one I love the best, a shepherd to his sheep. So, hidden agendas. So, let's start looking at some. And I'm so sorry, I've got to cram a whole lot into a short period of time. And I'm just, I've done that because you, you could go on and on with each one of these, but also so that we can use it as a pastoral care thing, that it's one message. Okay, hidden agendas. A reminder a hidden agenda is when our outward actions and behaviour are based on something unseen and unrecognised that is going on in the depths of our being. So hidden one, um, hidden agenda one, a faulty image of God. Our concept of God influences every area of our life. It determines how we relate to ourselves, to others, and to every situation in which we find ourselves in life. What kind of feeling do you get deep inside you when I say, God? I'm not asking for a response from your mind, but a response from your heart. What is the dominant feeling you get when you think of God? Why do I ask you to share your deep inner feelings about God? It's because it is possible to have a true understanding of God in our heads, but an untrue view of him in our hearts. And it is the heart, the place where our hidden agendas are written, that so many of our discussions about life and about ourselves take place. A faulty image of God influences our whole life. In his book, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, he says... What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most significantly important fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, 
but what he in his heart of hearts conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our image of God. Why is it so easy to hold on to a wrong image of God in our hearts despite clear Bible teaching? The reason is that things we learn in the atmosphere of our early relationships are so deep and powerful that they stay there with us even after we become adults. If when you were growing up, you continually suspected the motives of those who nurtured you, it's possible that you may have the same issue with God. If you had deep fears, deep guilt or deep resentments against those who nurtured you, it is perfectly possible to have projected those things into your relationship with God. Now, not everyone does this, of course, but the hidden agenda of a faulty concept of God is a real issue for many people. One of the greatest books ever written on the subject of a faulty image of God is Your God is Too Small by J.B. Phillips. Mike Russell knows this one very well. He loves it. The author points out that many Christians are involved in acts of idolatry because they worship a God who is not a true God but a God of their imagination. Some see God as a policeman, others as an authoritative parent and others still as an absent landlord. He argues most powerfully for the fact that unless you see God correctly, you will not be able to serve him correctly. You are made in the inner core of your being to trust a good character and to distrust a bad character. You just cannot give yourself to someone you cannot trust. J.B. Phillips asks, if you see God as a despot or a tyrant, how can you give yourself to him? If we do not have a clear view of God deep down in our hearts, then the hidden agenda of a faulty image of God will affect us in a variety of ways. Firstly, a faulty view of God will affect the way we work for him. We will serve him more out of duty than delight. Secondly, a faulty view of God will affect the way we worship him. How can we truly worship God unless we are utterly convinced that he is good and worthy of our worship? How can we come to him in prayer and ask him for blessings unless we are sure that he wills our good? The clearer our focus of him the more secure we are in our worship of him. Thirdly, it's easy to see how a faulty view of God will affect the way we witness about him or perhaps not witness about him at all. We rise no higher in our Christian life than our views and concept of God. A clear view of him leads to clear convictions about him. An unclear view of him can sabotage our work for him our worship of him, and our witness about him. I love the work of Selwyn Hughes, um, great counsellor. He says this, Selwyn Hughes goes so far as to say that after counselling hundreds of people, he concludes that there is a hardly a problem, problem that cannot be traced to this issue of people holding a faulty image of God. Selwyn says the way we see God deep in our hearts is the way we will relate to him, ourselves and others. 
We move to another agenda. The hidden agenda of unrealised forgiveness. Forgiveness is what the Christian life is all about. Just think of it. When we come to Christ and repent to him, every sin is blotted out, every transgression removed and every debt paid. Hallelujah. Could anything in heaven on earth be better than that? It's wonderful. However, some Christians never allow God's forgiveness to penetrate to the core of their being but let it remain only in the outer reaches of their mind. They're forgiven but not alive, not alive with this dynamic sense of realised forgiveness. Forgiveness is a fact in their life but somehow it doesn't put them on fire. There are many reasons for this and all of them, as many counsellors will say, are blocks in the personality that have been there from the early development years. For example, people with a low sense of self-worth might find it difficult to receive forgiveness in the depth of their being because deep down in their heart they don't believe they're really worth it. Of course they're forgiven, but a psychological battle is going on that prevents the message of God's forgiveness reaching right to the core of their being. Another block we encounter to receiving forgiveness is that foolish idea that given time we may be able to clear the debt that has piled up between God and us. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. If there's the smallest idea in our minds that we might be able to contribute to the settlement of our spiritual debt, we will finish up failing to experience and enjoying a dynamic sense of realised forgiveness. According to the dictionary, the word realisation means the act or process of becoming real. For this to happen, forgiveness needs to move from head to the heart. The point is that forgiveness must touch our feelings as well as our understanding. Why is it that so many accept the fact of forgiveness but never allow it to penetrate to their feelings? Probably, as counsellors will tell you, there are many reasons. But the most common one is this. Some people are so afraid of their feelings that they will not dwell too long on anything that might affect them emotionally. And so they intellectualise the truth of forgiveness. That is, they keep it in their hearts without ever letting it get to their... They keep it in their heads, sorry, without ever allowing it to touch their hearts. Can you see how the hidden agenda of unrealised forgiveness works? If you do not allow God's forgiveness to penetrate every area of your personality and so rid yourself of guilt, then unconsciously you will set to work it out to clear it yourself. You become your own debt collector. Unresolved feelings of guilt in our personalities build up a sense of indebtedness and guilt which cry out to be paid. And whenever we sense feelings of unresolved guilt within us, we will attempt to deal with it in one of two ways by paying the debt ourselves or making someone else pay. How does this work? Well, whenever we feel guilty, we can ease the guilt by punishing ourselves through such things, to name just two, physical illness or overwork. Not all physical illness is in this category, but it's widely thought that much is. Alternatively, 
We project our guilt onto others and make them pay. Guilt is such a bad feeling that we decide to spread it around a bit and make others pay by projecting blame and making out that our problems are really their fault. The only way of dealing with guilt is to bring it to the cross. Receive God's forgiveness and then go out and give that forgiveness to others. Hidden Agenda 3, Unmet Spiritual Needs. Every one of us at the centre of our being have spiritual needs that have to be met if we are to function as a well person. There's many of them, but they can be basically narrowed down to three things, three basic needs. A need to be loved, a need to feel worthwhile, and a need for meaning and purpose. These needs can only be fully met by God, and anyone who tries to meet them without God will experience nothing more than partial fulfilment and partial satisfaction. No human can meet those needs, at least in a way that's fulfilling. If we do not know how to let God meet them, then the next best thing is to try to have them met on a human level. And this is where the hidden agenda comes into the picture. If God is not meeting these basic spiritual needs, then because we cannot function effectively unless to some degree at least they are met, we will attempt to draw from others what we really ought to be drawing from God. Unless we are drawing our life from God and allowing him to meet our needs to be loved, to be worthwhile and to have meaning and purpose, we are terribly vulnerable to drawing the energy for life from our relationships with others. Focusing on what we think others should be giving us, we miss becoming open channels of God's love, which we were designed to be in this world. How do we overcome this problem? Well, it's by staying close to Christ and drawing from him everything we need in order to live as he lived and to love as he loved. Anything, another thing we must, oh, sorry. Another thing we must understand is that whenever our deep spiritual needs for love, worth and meaning are not being met by God, to the degree he does not fill our inner being, to that degree there will be pain. We are all in pain without the fullness that comes from God. And when our goal is to find relief from pain through any means but God, we demonstrate what sin is all about, a stubborn commitment to independence. The tragedy is that many of us do not actually feel that pain because over the years we've developed various ways to deal with it. We can ask ourselves, have we dealt with our inner pain? Denied it? Pretended it's not there? Covered it up with busyness or endless activity or even more harmful things? Only the Holy Spirit using the word of God to cut through any camouflages, can undercover, uncover what may be happening within us at any given time. Hidden Agenda 4. The Inner Child of the Past. Hugh Misseldine wrote a book, Your Inner Child of the Past. It's a classic in its field and it's been a tremendous value in showing how the attitudes of our parents or those who nurtured us affect our personality traits. 
His thesis is this. At one time, every one of us was a little child with childish attitudes and childish ideas. Unfortunately, it often happens that when we become adults, we never break free of these childish attitudes and ideas so that the hidden inner child continues to influence everything we do and usually not for good. Because of the power that's wielded by the inner child of the past, it is important to recognise what may be going on inside us. And then we can make the decision to grow up and be the mature people God wants us to be. People who are drawn by love, not drawn by immature attitudes of the past. This is really interesting. The inner child of the past makes itself most clearly known where it spent most of its time when growing up, the home. The most difficult place to be mature is amongst those with whom we have the closest relationships. A spouse, family, roommate. In close relationships, the little child tends to take over. And the great tragedy of being tied to our inner child of the past is that it prevents us from being free, really free. It binds us to the past so that we are not free to bring Christ into all our relationships and to be true, to be free to be truly loving. So here's a good rule of thumb. A lot of counsellors give this rule. Whenever your reaction to any situation is out of proportion to the event, ask yourself whether or not your inner child of the past is playing up. If you discover it is, then you must decide who is going to determine the degree of your maturity, you or the past. Hidden Agenda 5. I just feel there's a number of people here who are really going to be touched by this. Hidden Agenda 5, unresolved traumas and hurts. At some time or other, everyone will have experienced injury or hurt. There's no way of getting around it. What we must be careful about is that we do not allow hurts and traumas of life to control us and determine the way we will live in the future, especially the way we relate in the future. It is a deeply challenging moment when we, really, when we realise how much of life is being influenced by past events rather than by the compelling power of Christ and his love. Have you been deeply hurt at some point in your past? Then take heart. The hurts that you have experienced can, when placed in the hands of Christ, become the points of sensitivity that will make your ministry to others be more powerful than you could ever dream of. Jesus has been described as the wounded healer. It suggests that he is able to heal others because he himself has been wounded in the same way as others. No matter what pain you have endured, Jesus knows and he understands. So you can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that you can be sure of finding grace to help you in time of need. Psalm 46 verse 1 tells us, God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. The biggest problems we experience in our lives are often not our hurts and traumas, but the way we use our hurts and traumas to make sure we will never hurt like that again. 
In our ordinary relationships with people, we are likely to be misunderstood, ignored, hurt, and thus feel a degree of pain. One way to avoid pain is to avoid people, and many people do just that. There's some steps to take in healing the hurts of the past. This is a big topic, and we don't have the time, but this may be helpful. Firstly, admit them and acknowledge that they have taken place. You've been hurt. Acknowledge it. Admit it. And secondly, and this can be hard, be willing to forgive those who have hurt you. And thirdly, ask God to help you overcome your tendency to protect yourself from further pain by not getting close to people and making yourself vulnerable. I've got a smile here. I've got a little asterisk on my page. Two mornings ago I woke up and I felt the Holy Spirit give me one sentence to put in right here. Right here. And that is be kind to each other and actively love each other because you just don't know what some people amongst you have had to endure. Hidden Agenda 6. The last two are not so long, so don't worry. Hidden Agenda 6, fear of failure. Some people are so afraid they might fail that they've had stayed at the same certain level for most of their lives, never experiencing failure but never experiencing success either. I wonder if the servant who buried his talent in the ground was controlled by a hidden agenda of fear of failure. Could very well have been. The dynamic behind the fear of failure is this. If I try and I fail, I won't be able to live with myself. So I won't try. It is reasoning that assumes that God is not big enough or strong enough to help us if we do fail. The deep underlying reason for fear of failure is the fact that people have a wrong view about what constitutes self-worth. They unconsciously link their performance with their identity. They depend on what they do to determine who they are. But in God's sight, our worth is not determined by our successes or failures. He values us for who we are, not what we do. The first step to overcome a fear of failure is to realise that your significance as a person does not rest on success, but on how much God values you. And how much is that? You are worth so much to him that he exchanged his life for yours. Often the fear of failure starts to diminish and dissolve as you step out in faith with the conviction that the important thing is not success or failure but being true to God and to yourself. Hidden seven might sound strange, self-contempt. Self-contempt is about the self-bashing we give ourselves whenever we have fallen below our own standards or ideals. What do we say? Oh, you idiot, what you do that for? You know all that stuff? It's the despising of oneself and includes feelings of hatred towards one's own person. To understand fully how self-contempt works, we have to see it in connection with another word, which is shame. 
Instead of letting shame drive us towards God in repentance and humility, we deflect the work of God in our soul by taking charge of the situation ourselves through self-contempt. It prevents the work of the Holy Spirit by getting us off the hook in a way that does not produce real change. If I feel upset with myself for some sin I have committed and I feel ashamed that I have not acted like I should, then when I turn upon myself in self-contempt, it can seem to a casual observer that I'm repenting of my sin. But actually I am not repenting. I am merely being remorseful. Big difference, if you've got a moment, work out the differences. It's it's really eye-opening. If I were under conviction for my sin, I would admit to myself my utter helplessness to cleanse my soul by self-effort and then turn to Christ in humble penitence and sorrow. Then I would experience true change. So that's seven in a hurry and there's so much more that could be said, all of them. But they need to all be said in the, in the light of a message I spoke about a long time ago about grace. We need to see this in grace. It's not us. It's through Christ. It's important to remember that the discovery of a hidden agenda is not easy. We need help to see ourselves clearly and that is why we must continually open ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit and invite him in to make us aware of what he sees like David did. Any self, and this is really important, any self-examination should be done in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It may be helpful to occasionally spend some time asking questions such as, How am I doing spiritually? Am I growing in God? Are there things hindering my walk with him? How can I go deeper in the things of God? All God asks for is our openness and willingness. He always supplies the power. Let's not depend on human effort, but on divine empowering. A word of caution. Be on guard of the danger of becoming unhealthily introspective. Be on guard against that in every way you can. The uncovery of any hidden agendas that may be operating in our lives will enable us to make godly decisions that are prompted by God's interest more than our own interest. So I leave you with this. May the year and times that lie ahead bring one of the greatest spiritual advances we have ever lived both individually and as a church. If I were you, I would have given up on me by now. I would have labeled me a lost cause. Cause I feel just like a lost cause. If I were you, I would have turned around and walked away I would have labeled me beyond repair Cause I feel like I'm beyond repair Oh, but somehow you don't see me like I do Somehow you're still here You're the God who stays You're the God who stays You're the one 
Thank you for that message. That was fantastic. There's a lot to catch there. I think there was quite a lot. So thank you for that. Um, I really like the uh, the idea of uh, David's David's prayer or in, in David's Psalms says, "Search me and uh, go, O God, and know my heart." Um, I uh, for me, uh, I I looked up. I, I learned uh, the Bible in a uh, in a. I grew up in a Romanian church, so I actually learned the Bible in a different language. Um, English is my second spiritual language. I don't really, I'm not really that great at sort of doing, um, particularly I struggle with sort of uh, referencing the Bible in, uh, in English. So I, I looked up, I looked up that psalm and sort of the words in the Romanian Bible, uh, is the word for that search me is, is about investigating and researching. It's about sort of, uh, it's not as simple as kind of, um, this idea of, you know, it, it it demands an investigation. It demands kind of a research. So, I thought that was really uh, really interesting, and I love that that invitation to allow God to bring our inner person to the surface uh, and examine ourselves, uh, reflect in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I thought that was fantastic. So, thank you. Um, that concludes our service today. Uh, if you want to uh, spend some time in prayer. Uh, with the team after the service or maybe the message has prompted you to, you know, have a conversation with somebody. Uh, there is plenty of room in the in the prayer space, uh, which is just over to the uh, uh, to the left of the uh, rear, the left of the auditorium. It's the first door on the left there. Um, otherwise, feel free to join us uh, for tea and coffee, stay for a chat, enjoy the day, uh, have a great week and go in peace. Thank you.